Hello, and welcome. You are listening to Moodily Matters, the podcast that recognizes that your mood matters. Every episode, we talk to a range of amazing guests with experience in some of the top organizations in the world, discussing work life at the crossroads of mood, well being, and performance. Together, we aim to create better workplaces, one mood at a time. Let's get started with your host, Moodily founder, Erica First. Hello, and thank you for being with us. I am Erica First, your host of Moodily Matters. In today's episode, I'm joined by my dear friend, Christian Navarro, who has held senior brand positions in Spotify, SoulCycle, and now Creatively. This interview is chock full of great advice on how to show up as the leader your team needs when they need it. My favorite takeaway is the importance of transparency and honesty when trying to navigate sticky situations. But I'll let Christian tell you more about that. Okay. Hi, Christian, and welcome so much. And thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Of course. Thanks for having me, Erica. Could we start out with you telling us a little bit about your professional journey and what you've done that led you to where you are today? Sure. So I, um, my name is Christian Navarro. I'm based here in New York at the moment. It's been here since 2016. Uh, I started my, out of my career um, in advertising and creative advertising agencies and started from the bottom, worked my way up to a group account director, got to work on some pretty incredible advertising accounts, big brands, small brands, global brands, local brands, um, and had a really great time helping my clients uh, make great advertising uh, and sell whatever they need to sell. Um, in 2016, I pivoted from the, uh, the uh, advertising agency side and went brand side. Uh, that's what brought me here to New York. Um, I joined a team at Spotify called the Brand and Creative Team. It was our internal uh, creative and strategic resource as a, as a global brand director. Um, following that, I, um, I led a brand marketing team at um, a fitness brand called SoulCycle um, and was able to help um, a really interesting time in the business for them. They had, had done a, a ton of expansion. Um, and then, of course, uh, a global pandemic hit, which, of course, 100% not just affects the brick and mortar uh, fitness studio experience, but um, also the folks who work for a company that uh, is greatly affected by, um, by the pandemic. Uh, and then most recently in, um, in March of this year, I joined a startup called Creatively, um, which is, uh, we've only been around since May of last year, um, uh, but we are a job platform for creatives. So we're a double-sided community where we have um, over 200,000 creatives um, who are very professional-minded and over 1,500 brands who um, use our platform to help find the right creatives for the business. Wow, that sounds really interesting. I haven't heard of it yet. So definitely oh, keep talk an eye more, out. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Let's talk after the show. Um, can you tell me a little bit about not only where you're working now, but also some of your past work environments and the dynamics that would come up that you were dealing with, uh, challenging yeah. and not so challenging? Sure. So I think, you know, one thing that I was reflecting on before we got on the call here was um, like just how different of work environments I've had, right? In the in the advertising agency world, it's a lot more, uh, in some ways, um, a lot, in many ways, a lot of what you see in the movies, how they, how they portray like advertising agencies, like it's super loose, it's super casual, they're playful. Um, are they the right places to get a ton of work done? Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes not. You have to make those spaces for yourself. Um, and then, you know, as I moved on to, to brand side gigs, like places 
uh, like Spotify were really incredible environments and great workplaces, everything from training to uh, continuing development to employee ERGs to all the benefits you'd think about when you think about you know, large tech companies. It really did foster a place where you just sort of wanted to be uh, and always wanted to continue working. And similar places like SoulCycle. Um, I think the sort of the shift that I've made recently uh, for working for this platform was a straight up work from home situation. So in those kinds of environments, um, you sort of need to rethink about uh, team culture, corporate culture, how to keep people motivated, how to keep people accountable as their manager, how to manage up to your manager. Um, and the dynamics get so different when you're living in a world of Gchats, texts, Slack messages, email, Zoom calls. And so that's kind of been like the biggest new challenge, uh, I think, for me as, as, as a manager and a leader of a team, um, is how do we just find that right like balance of connection um, to keep people excited to be doing the work, doing the great best work of their lives, um, and also just contributing to the corporate culture. And so how have you, because obviously there's a big shift from the sort of yeah. craz- craziness that happens in advertising. And yeah. it's interesting that the wellness companies are like really totally. about wellness from A to Z. And now you have a new challenge of having to organize a bunch of people that aren't actually there. Yeah. What are you finding that's working for you yeah. or that your guys are struggling with right now? Yeah, I will say um, one thing I started even my in my soul cycle days, like during the pandemic when we shut down the office and everyone had to work from home, was actually like taking time and being okay with checking in on each other and just frankly talking about nothing. Like kind of like what you would imagine would be the conversation would be if you'd ran into a couple of people in like the kitchen at an office. Um, in some cases, I, I recall a few times um, I would have my team meetings and I would be like, you know what, I had an agenda. But let's just like take a moment just to like check in on each other. Like, what are you watching on TV? What do you, you know, what, like what's happening in your house? Like, have you made a good recipe at home recently? Like, what are you up to? And I think those types of moments, always at the end, everyone on the team that was in that call or that Zoom call was like, God, thank God we did that. Like, I feel like I've been going so hard from meeting to meeting to meeting, but actually um, pivoting schedule time or using schedule time to actually check in on each other. I thought was just as much a recharge moment as it, as it was a team building moment, as it was a culture building moment for me and my teams. So kind of like a intentional water cooler moment. A hundred percent. Yeah, I feel, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Cause I feel like you kind of start, start zoom meetings off of like, Oh, how are you doing? Oh, what are you eating for lunch there? Or, you know, like, or whatever, end meetings like that. But I think the, um, the magic is when like, uh, you just pivot on the spot and be like, hey, there was four things I want to talk about. We can handle this on Slack. But let's just like talk about life right now. How's life? Um, and I think you'd be surprised about how teams kind of just want to talk about stuff that's not work on a Zoom call. Um, and it, it remains to be you know, something I, I sort of love to sort of throw on the team. If, if there's nothing too hot, if there's nothing that can't be handled digitally, like just, let's just catch up on things. And it's been really, really fruitful. And I think definitely fruitful for them, 100% fruitful for me to sort of recharge and sort of refocus uh, and get my energy back during the day. That's really interesting. Um, and it's actually something that I've been hearing from a lot of people that also on the, from the employee side that they miss, that they love working from home actually because they get more done. Um, totally. but, but you miss that connection, the belonging, the, the feeling yeah. part of something bigger. Yeah. 
Um, and so obviously part of this, since we talk about mood here, um, part of what you do is actually to try and keep people feeling motivated, feeling good. Now, if you think back also to your days in advertising or working for Spotify or SoulCycle, how does people's mood affect how work gets done? Yeah, it's it's a super interesting question. Um, you know, I think what's interesting, especially in the creative industry and the marketing industry, I personally feel that the moods of the people doing it directly affect how the work is done, right? I think I think even if you think is sort of like not as simple, but as sort of like um, isolated as like trying to think of creative ideas, right? You have to be in the right mindset to. Um, to ultimately come up with those things. And if you're not there, you might just need to cut bait, go do something else and come back to it. So I think the the, the biggest thing around uh, sort of uh, adjusting your mood for the work you're doing is to be conscious of it. I think I, I've definitely been in places where I'm trying to write this deck, I'm trying to think of ideas and it's just not flowing. I'm just not in the right mood for it. Um, and usually like I'll give myself permission to shut down the computer, walk away, maybe walk outside real quick, get some fresh air, look up at the sky, then come back. Uh, and usually that does the trick. Um, or being able to be like, you know what, like I'm not in the mood to like effectively do this right now. I'm going to do this other thing that's like a lot quicker, a lot easier, a little bit more sort of like mechanical. So I can come back sort of with uh, perhaps a slightly different couple of degrees perspective and see if I, that works for me. Okay. So it's so interesting because there's like science to back up literally everything that you said <laughs> about Perfect. yeah no it's like having to be in the right mindset and when you push it actually it, it gets harder because you just make yourself yeah. even more stressed um, yeah it's diminishing returns because i think for me like, that's exactly right like it is like if i'm sitting there star- staring at the same slide for more than five minutes and not being able to sort of get what i need to get out the anxiety starts to come like oh my god okay this is like the fifth slide of probably 50 slides i'll have to do like this is this is going to go down down the drain really really fast and so for me it's been always been a practice of like um, am I in the right mood headspace for this am I right in the right mood for this if I'm not quickly acknowledge that get away from it and come back that doesn't work get away from it, come back that doesn't work maybe I'll just wake up early tomorrow and see if I'm in a better space but uh, I think those they're not really life hacks, but I think it's sort of about hacking the way you want it. You can do the work and where you think you can be the most productive and being mindful of that is super important. Um, I think just definitely for me, but definitely for everyone as well. Well, it's already really, uh, you know, a credit to you that you're aware of that because a lot of people don't necessarily, they try and push through thinking like, no, I got to get this done. I got to get this done. Um, and I definitely would have been one of those people some time ago. It's like, no, just, just keep doing it. It'll come. And, and it, it yeah. actually just doesn't, it makes it yeah. worse and worse. Um, yeah. so the right thing is to kind of just like get up, walk away or do some sort of other trick. Do you have like one time in particular that you can remember when your mood like directly impacted your performance, either for better or for worse? Sure. Um, I can, I can actually probably think of two, one, one for worse and one for better. Um, but they're not, the worst one is actually not that bad. Um, <laughs> I, I was, I was very, so I was very lucky. Uh, my now wife and I were able to have a wedding uh, two months ago. So we planned it during COVID, had the wedding in September of, of, uh, of this year. Um, and the months leading up to it, I, my mind was all, my, 
my boss will probably see this podcast. It's totally fine. We've talked about this openly, but you know, like my mind was very much in a different place to the work. Right. And I was getting ready for this big life event. And I think the, the biggest thing for me was trying to balance that responsibly. Right. And that was when, you know, like, you know, potentially like some level of detail might've like slipped or something like that. Um, and not that I was going to give myself the, the gimme for, uh, for having this life event. And that's the reason why, like we all have to manage our own moods and expectations in the workplace and in personal lives. But that was one of those situations where something that was happening well outside the workplace in a much farther other corner uh, of my like world, which is my personal life was greatly affecting my mood. And so uh, as that planning process was happening, if things were going great, we got the vendor we wanted, we're feeling like we got that stuff. Like I was cranking on all, on all cylinders, even in the work environment. But when, you know, something didn't work out, the estimate came up too high or like I found myself distracted. And that is sort of in the workplace, of course, distracting me in the workplace as well. So that was one that was sort of, it wasn't necessarily a bad one, but it was very much that that journey of like planning the wedding uh, and leading into it certainly affected sort of my mood. Um, And I think that's sort of like, unlike sort of the big, big win side is that when you sort of like see that all your work, especially like in the startup atmosphere, super fast paced. We pivot what feels like 37 times in a month uh, for all the right reasons, because the data is telling us, et cetera. I think the thing that sort of affects me and my team's mood is like when we start to see it actually working, right? And then that for some reason opens up, not for some reason, a very logical reason, opens up a lot better a mood of everyone because, hey, this is working. The business, you know, Our metrics are looking in the right direction. Everything we've tried, is really, really starting to sort of build on itself and the momentum is building. I think that is definitely a mood changer when you start to see the results of your work. Um, and so those wins happen oftentimes in the startup world, as you could imagine, and you probably know. Um, so those are those are cases when like, it's a little bit of a push and pull, right? It's, a, it's sort of a push and pull from the outside and a push and pull from inside the work uh, that helps sort of like push the mood one way or the other, which ultimately affects the mood. Um, yeah, it's so interesting uh, also because you just like took me back a thousand years to, <laughs> to the planning of my own wedding and I, it's so hard to do both yeah. and you're so right about, they actually call it spillover that, you know, our nervous system, our stress response doesn't have a bucket for private life and then a bucket <laughs> for, for professional life. You know, it's yeah. like you only have one. So if you're stressed about a wedding, it's yeah. going to play out in the office and vice versa. Um, and one of the things that there's like a lot of data that talks about, especially like if you're very stressed at work, one of the biggest impactors in relationships and and divorces is people taking home their stress and their bad moods from, from the day. That's why it's so kind of important to like, as you said, kind of learn, learn how to recognize and detach from it. Totally. Um, now this, the startup world is. Uh, yes, there are highs, but there are also lows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, how are you finding, like, also collectively, like, what do you do to keep people's mood high? Because it's great when there is evidence and, and yeah. like, do you take time to specifically celebrate it? Um, mm-hmm. And then also, what do you do when it's like, all right, we're going to have to pivot again. And people are like, yeah. oh, is this ever going to yeah. work out? Yeah, I think it's definitely both sides. So I think you have to celebrate the wins. And our, our my current startup, startup environment is super transparent, right? We always, always want to celebrate the wins. 
we also want to sort of like openly talk about the opportunities or things that didn't quite work out well. I think the the that sort of constant drip of communication within the work environment, I think helps at least temper a little bit, like how low the lows can go. Um, Cause truthfully, at least for me, like when I think about sort of where the lows are, it's when you're sort of, you, you didn't necessarily see it coming, coming or you didn't see, um, see this trend happening the way it did. But I think one thing to sort of, uh, sort of normalize it or sort of like sort of make the lows less low uh, is to openly talk about how things are going intermittently throughout the process versus like turning around one day and be like, when you think you think everything's great and being like, well, you know what? That is horrible. It did not work. So I think that that's sort of like that iterative look at everything, um, which ultimately leads to a very pivoty environment, I think is important just to make sure that we're all um, sort of consistently looking at what's happening, what's working, not working, so that when we do decide to pivot, um, your mind is already there because you've already sort of been following along, I guess, with the story. Right. So you guys use transparency as a way 100%. to sort of manage mood and expectations. Yeah, 100%. And then I think the other piece of it is just, um, and I can actually recall this, I, I did this almost a month ago with my team, sort of like knowing where our business plan was um, for the balance of this year and going into the next year, and some other sort of big forces within, uh, within our company. Um, you know, I think also just having very open conversations around like, hey, there will be nights in the coming weeks and months where we will have to pivot, which will ultimately mean that it will be all hands on deck. Uh, it will be something that we're all going to have to go in on together. Um, and I think talking about those well before they happen and reminding um, isn't necessarily like a threat, like, oh, you know what? It's going to be bad. Like, don't do anything wrong. It's not about that. It was it, have fun I think, now. I know, have fun now before you have to go, you know? <laughs> But I think, but it was really more an open conversation around like, hey, we're a high growth startup. We will have nights where something will come in and then, you know, 80% of the team will have to jump in and, and help figure this out really quickly. I think just having those expectation conversations often and openly, I think are important. Um, and then I talked about ways, how can you like sort of like cope with it or like plan for it? Um, and how can we proactively sort of minimize the impact outside of, outside of work after five o'clock or six o'clock um, to these pivots? So I don't know. I, I mean, our, our, again, like our, our sort of like communication structure is super transparent, transparent where we are right now. It's not unlike some other places I've been, um, but I think sort of that really helps manage people's sort of emotional expectations as well as sort of like actual hands-on keyboard expectations. Actually, one of the things that a lot of science shows is that what sends people into spirals is mm -hmm. uncertainty and not right. knowing um, and a lack of communication um, or surprises that come out of nowhere. So if you if they're prepared for it, then they get to like make their own decisions and be the they have their own sense of control of like, I can choose to stay here or not stay here. Yep. Um, so it's, it's almost better to be more blatantly honest. I mean, I've, or brutally honest, I found this to be my experience in mm -hmm. managing teams that, you know, when things were difficult and we were heading through difficult periods, it was almost rude of totally. other managers to be like, it's all going to be fine. Totally. And yeah. Like, yeah. And I, and I, <laughs> yeah, like, and I'm totally with you. Cause I, in some weird way, I think there's, there's, um, 
there's like different management styles, obviously, right? There's the one that's like, not, I don't want to say command and control is not it, but it's like, you know, so the one that's like, I'm the, like, you're just going to drop the bombs. Like, oh, you know what? Call everyone in the room one day, like, by the way, this sucks. We have to really like jump in and do this. Then there's the ones that are super transparent, which I think is, continues to be the right way to do it. I think one thing that what you said just sort of made me think about uh, was um, as a manager, um, in terms of managing people's moods and expectations is actually being honest about things you don't know. Um, this is a lesson I learned um, when I was at SoulCycle managing a team when it was ultimately unbelievably uncertain, right? Like we had just closed a bunch of studios for the pandemic. Um, talks abounded across every news outlet and even internally around furloughs, et cetera, right? And I think mm-hmm. that was like the height of uncertainty. Um, and I, you know, I, I look back at those times and I learned so much as a manager during those times around like, when is it too much to talk? When is it not enough to talk? And by far and away, talk more. That's the answer to, to managing and helping people through these crazy uncertain times. Cause like the pandemic is wild. Like it was like, it came after everyone in the workplace, outside of the workplace, whatever. But I think for me, uh, once I got to the place as a manager, especially in that scenario where I could look the team virtually in the eye through the screen and be like, Hey, I don't know the answer. Am I going to find the answer? Absolutely. I'm going to try to find it for us. But I think, um, there's sort of like this, like veil in some management styles of like, you don't need to know that answer or, you know, or like sort of like being a little stonewalled about it. Yeah. But I do think that in the extreme cases, like what happened, you know, a year ago, even, um, uh, the admission, uh, that I didn't know the answer. I would like to know the answer to let me see what I can do to find it for you was, was, I I think it was impactful for me because I didn't want to like ever pretend I can do something that I didn't. Right. I think, I think it meant a lot to the teams as well to be that transparent. Well, I definitely, and I, um, I love what you just said there. Um, I think that what obviously people look to their leaders and their managers to provide them with, I would say direction, Mm-hmm. Or then, you know, when we found ourselves in an impossible situation, no one had an answer. We had no idea. I mean, right. you know, we were, I'm in Milan. We were the first ones to get it. One of the, one of the jokes is that um, we literally had new legislation come out like 12 hours apart, you know, they, yeah. would, they would make one set of rules and then they'd be like, nope, yeah. just kidding. Here's another new <laughs> set, you know? So it was almost like, guys, take a minute, right? figure it out, talk, come back. <laughs> come back to me with a plan, but like, you don't have to give me a new law every 10 yeah. minutes. So it's like, yeah. take the time you need, like admit, like, we don't know what's going on. We're trying to figure it out. Give us a second and I'll get back yeah. to you with answers. But I definitely think that you're hundred percent right about like bringing employees along with you and making them feel part of the decision process, part of the information process, but also respected enough that, that they're not being lied to. And this is, you know, it falls all into the traditional job, uh, job desires in the organizational psychology. So, um, extra points for you for being on top of that. (laughs) (laughs) So, so as we're talking about that, like what employees uh, need in a job to feel well. Um, what does well-being at work mean to you? Like, what does it mean to feel well in your job? Yeah, 
I think it's a, it's a couple of things. I think um, the first thing that comes to my mind is the word like uh, balance and boundaries. Two words, I guess, balance and boundaries. I think, um, and it's been super hard during the pandemic working from home to find that place of, of boundary and balance, right? Like I think it's super easy just to sort of be always on, on your computer, on your phone, on Slack or whatever, uh, always being on. And I think obviously there's a time for in place for that in the business as it's pivoting when that, those things happen. But I think having a good sense and a, and a, a resting heart rate of boundaries and balance, I think is, is super important. Um, and then I think the second thing is just like, to be, to be perfectly honest, like taking the time off when you need it. I think the, uh, at least here in America, uh, you know, like taking time off is like a really weird thing. You yeah. feel guilty doing it. You feel guilty. Like, I think um, it shouldn't feel like you are uh, doing something wrong by asking for it. Right. Um, and I think those become especially apparent in workplaces where it's unlimited time off. Um, because I'm sure there was some sort of statistical analysis of workplaces with workplaces with uh, unlimited time off, and they probably saw that people took less time off or didn't truly take the time off. So I think well-being in the workplace for me is balance, time off, boundaries. Um, and, uh, I think also, again, like we talked about earlier, like leaving, leaving spaces to have open conversations about how people are feeling or just to sort of turn off, uh, but still talk to each other and not have to talk about that one initiative that might be going sideways or that one initiative that's going great. So I think it's all that sort of balance is sort of where I think well-being in the workplace comes together. Yeah. And it's interesting because, um, I've been working on this project with a, a fashion company here in Italy and, um, we've been talking about what foreign expats have learned by working with Italian companies. <laughs> and the one thing that they always say, which, you know, I forget, I've been living here for 20 years, so I forgot sure. about it, but they all say that, that they learned the value of time off that, that they would take these, um, you know, the three weeks in August, the typical three weeks in August, and they would come back like refreshed, rested, mm -hmm. and like 100% ready to recharge. But that for everyone, it felt really, they felt guilty by not yeah. producing, but that after having done it for a couple of years, they were like, actually, this is exactly what I needed to be able to come back at a hundred percent was to recharge. Yeah. Um, and so Absolutely. it's interesting. It's I've, I've been following obviously in the United States, what's been going on with, with all the, um, how people are redesigning work. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what role and the science is there too. I mean, if you're burnt out, the or, or burning out yeah. the last thing you need to do to an employee is force them to keep working because their totally. brain shuts off they just don't deliver totally. um and then they make accidents there was a study that was done that showed that um anger in the workplace so like just feeling bad like being angry at other people in yeah. the workplace actually led to an increase 28 increase in mistakes and seven percent seven percent increase in um, accidents at work. So if you think about the monetary associations with that, it's, it's, totally. it's a no brainer to give people time off. Right. right? Like now, obviously in the pandemic and, um, a lot of attention has been thrown on workplace wellness interventions. Mm -hmm. Um, are there any that you use that you're more partial to that, that you like for your team and stuff? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think those are increasingly becoming important. Um, I, I, I am definitely someone that over the, even just call it in the last year, definitely during the pandemic have really started to 
invest my own uh, personal well-being. And I think it's unbelievably important for companies to offer this uh, to their employees just because, um, for one, it's easy and scalable. Uh, two, I think it's just it's important that um, companies signal uh, their belief and importance of well-being and wellness by doing things like that uh, and offering those things to their employees. Um, I, I, I definitely think that it, it, at least when you're an employee of a company, um, let's say you're even like interviewing with a company, like those are the things, at least for me now in my career, that I, I value uh, as a company value, that they care about my mental health. And so those are things like even when you think about things like employee branding, like those are things that actually matter and I think will continue to matter moving forward as we hopefully get out of this, like this pandemic. Um, so I, I, I love everything I'm seeing around that. <clears throat> I love uh, corporations being really open and honest about wellness. Like I've seen plenty of times, even in the last like six months, companies of, of people in my sort of uh, my uh, area of sort of like my friends and stuff like that, like wellness weeks, wellness days, um, team meditation, uh, you know, doing all that stuff on Zoom if you can't do it in person. Uh, offering up, um, offering up, you know, free subscriptions to wellness apps. I think it's a hundred percent in the right direction. I think it's a hundred percent part of building uh, a company that employees uh, will love, will continue to talk about with their friends and ultimately brands that people will love. I think it's just brands that are, that are in, looking inside and are willing to sort of raise their hand and, and talk about the importance and supply something to their employees that helps them get through that in that meaningful way, I think is uh, exactly where brands need to be. What, um, if there is one of, of the category of like wellness interventions, which can come from like eating properly Mm -hmm. or exercising or, um, meditation or whatnot, which one do you think we'll be seeing more of in the future? Ooh. Um, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, when I think of more in the future, I think of stuff that is, um, um, I guess, low-hanging fruit or like stuff that's like an easy get for people. Um, I still think in some cases, and this is like just be me reflecting on my experience and even places that I've worked, things like meditation and stuff like that, I still think are very hard for the large majority of people to wrap their heads around. Um, (laughs) And so like in some cases, I had to like force myself to do it, right? Like I was like, this is going to be good for me. It's going to be good for me. I was not trying to give myself anxiety around it, but ultimately I got there. But, you know, it's funny that there are some people who actually um, meditation can make them more stressed than they were (laughs) at the beginning. It's a silent moment to stress out, basically. You just can't do, I mean, because some people literally are just so, you know, at at a certain point where it's just not possible for them. Um, Totally. And I I was definitely one of them. (laughs) And sometimes sometimes it just doesn't take, right? Like it's it's for certain people. So I think things that are a little more um, easy for people to wrap their arms around, exercise programs. Uh, food programs, uh, I think are a much easier way in that I think a lot more people can take advantage of just because you got to eat and ideally you got to exercise. Right. Um, But I do think those things that are a little more, um, uh, I guess, common for people to sort of understand and wrap their heads around um, are things like that versus like meditation and yoga, which like in some cases could just scare people away or people just like don't think they're real things. Yeah, no, I've seen that a lot too, especially in sort of the corporate environments. Um, Yoga and meditation can be very polarizing, Um, maybe a little bit less to the generation that's coming in right now because they've grown up 
you know, it's like it was there from birth. Um, But I definitely think that at a certain age, there are some people that are more drawn to it and, and less drawn to it. Although all sorts of stress interventions are highly subjective. People will have one thing that works for them. Um, and in some some cases, like the culture of the company too, right? Like uh, I will tell you right now at SoulCycle, working out and (laughs) meditation and yoga was part of the culture. right? Right. And it was very much, um, it's not surprising as you could imagine. It was actually quite lovely once you started to get into it. Like we would start big, um, big all company meetings with a meditation or a breathing exercise, um, which again is like very endemic to that right. brand and that culture. It makes a lot of sense. Well, you kind of uh, have you, to know that going. Totally, <laughs> totally. But I think, you know, I think again, like I think the things that are less polarizing, I think are the things that are going to float to the top first with probably the more polarizing stuff as a fast follow. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's definitely something I've been trying to keep in mind as we work about making it as effective to a broader population as possible. Um, I have actually a really dear friend of mine who was a huge soul cycle fan when he was in New York and he would tell me about his exercises and I was like, yeah, no, (laughs) (laughs) you know, again, like that's one of those things. It's like, you're, you're either bought into it or not. Right. It's like uh, I'll meet yeah. you for brunch after. Totally. <laughs> yeah, mimosas taste better than than uh, meditation. But yeah, you know, so I think I think it's it's really interesting when it's ingrained in the company culture. Obviously, that's like very very low hanging fruit. But in general, I feel like the things that have the broader appeal, the broader intake, the less polarization are the things that are definitely going to pull ahead. Okay, so let me get one last question for you. Sure. Which is, what three pieces of advice would you give to a young person entering the workforce today on how to be their best at work. Mm-hmm. So this is probably very much me, but I think establish your routine. No, and I mean I mean that sort of at the desk and not at the desk, right? So for me personally, um, you know, I have to work out in the morning and then like I do my best work right after I've like right after I've showered and like I'm drinking my coffee and I'm sitting at a computer. So I think that's like one thing. The first is sort of like establish your sort of routine. I think the second thing is um, be cognizant of where you want your boundaries to be, but also be cognizant that the work might have you break those, those work, those boundaries. What I mean by that is sort of like what we talked about earlier around like, Hey, there'll be some nights we want might pivot as a company and you have to work a little bit longer. But I think being able to um, being able to sort of um, uh, at least understand where the outline is of the boundaries. So you can sort of skip out of it if you need to and be comfortable with that, I think is sort of just setting you up for success when you do have to step out of that, step out, right. out of it. Well, you create an exception as opposed to a general. Exactly. Way. They're being pushed away. Right. Yeah. And then the third thing I would say is um, never underestimate checking in on your coworkers. I think it's okay to have those conversations, those, how are you doing? Or, you know, like, Hey, I know, you know, I noticed that it's been a little tough for you. Like, let's just talk about it. I think it's okay to have those, uh, those types of connections in the workplace. And in in fact, I, you know, I I think it's important to have those connections in the workplace. So that that would be the third thing. I think it's just, you know, making sure you're checking in, uh, making sure that you are um, cognizant of, uh, for lack of a better word, the energy in the room, whether it's digital or not. Um, and continue just to build that community aspect with your coworkers. I think it's going to be super important to keeping you well-balanced. Awesome. Those are great. 
I love this piece because I get such fabulous advice from everybody and it's always different. Totally. So it's, it's amazing. <laughs> love that. Okay. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today, Christian, and we'll hopefully speak to you again soon. Would love that. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Moodily Matters. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort, and we'll catch you in the next episode of Moodily Matters.